Hello, everybody, and welcome to Inspire the Podcast with myself, Nicola Wills. I've got a very, very exciting guest on for you who just fills my heart with so much love and joy. His name is David O'Reilly. So David is a rather well-known face in Ireland where he's a panelist on the Elaine show on Virgin Media One and then became the show's regular showbiz correspondent. And David is now a regular contributor to 2FM, one of Ireland's most loved radio stations. David graduated with the prestigious Stephen Muir Award. Shortly after graduation, he made his West End debut in Greece at Piccadilly Theatre before heading on to a UK tour of the show. Since then, David has played Cecil Graham in the West End cast of Lady Windermere's Fan, directed by the incredible Kathy Burke, before joining the Catherine Tate Show, love that show, uh, live in Australia and New Zealand. He also appeared in the Book of Mormon in the West End and the West End cast of Everybody's Talking About Jamie as Like a Virgin, before heading on to tour LA and play at the Astran Theatre. You will catch David on TV as well as theatre appearing in BBC's Nova Jones, Netflix's Christmas on Mistletoe Farm, Hulu's TV hit series Better Things and the much-loved Benidorm and daytime TV soap Doctors. So, David O'Reilly, welcome to the show, gorgeous. Hi, Honey oh, Queen. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. God, just making sounds very important there. <laughs> Honey, you are very, very important. But look, the, this podcast, what it's really here to show is that this is the 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 bit that people see. The things that, oh my God, he's so successful. Wow, he's done so well. But the stories behind that, the journey that it took to get there, for me, that is the interesting point. That is the part where like the gems are made, right? And I just know, you know, I've spoken, so I know your story. And I would just love for you to start share with us all where did it all begin like tell us kind of your years nine yeah age 10 and younger yeah so i'm i am irish and um, in case anyone's now can't hear um which you will do because i've been back in ireland so whenever i'm back in ireland my voice gets accents get very thick anyway i digress um back in ireland i, I was born um in dublin to new the most amazing parents and um, i have one sibling four years younger than me four and a half uh, grew up in a big family, big Irish family, lots of cousins, lots of aunties, old cousins, second cousins, this one, that one. You know, you'd walk down and you'd be related. You didn't even know what that kind of vibe. Um, <laughs> really great kind of community. It takes a village to raise your children vibe. Um, and that was a really great uh, upbringing. Um, we, mum and dad were from an area called Ballyfermot, a very working class area. But um, the heart, heart of gold, real you know, real kind community led area in Dublin, um, where people um would give you the shirt off their back if you needed it, you know, that kind of vibe. So I definitely feel like that had such a, a massive um massive effect on mum and dad and then therefore me and my brother with regards to then um when mum and dad bought their own house in a, another kind of uh, working class area in Dublin called Kill the Manor. Um they too had a great community spirit. Uh, on the road there before we ended up moving to another area in Dublin. And that's where we remain today. Very close to my mum and dad um, and my brother and my family. And personally, that's kind of, that would be it from from a performing kind of vibe. Um, school, um, I, I didn't have a particularly enjoyable time at school. I didn't have friends. I was bullied horrendously <laughs> towards the last half of primary school. Um, and I talk about this. Now, as you know, it's part of my coat of armor. You know, I I I've spoken at length about my issues with bullying in the past, and you know, I've had to really just a lot of working right up until maybe even a year ago about building up, um, building up, um, my my defense, but also not defense mechanism, if that makes sense. So just yeah. kind of how I can protect myself from the the the. Besides rituals and trauma that comes with being bullied, if that makes sense. Uh, I, hopefully I'm not waffling too much. Anyway, so that's where I started. I got into a drama class in school and I think that was because of mainly, you know, I needed an outlet at school. Uh, a teacher called Mr McGurk and he was the saving grace really. Like I was able to do drama class at school. I couldn't believe it. I loved it. My mom, my mom I, think, I remember my mom bringing me into the class first and that was it. And then I kind of went, I, when I went to secondary school, I was in, um, 
what I call tunnel mode, and it was just get through school without drawing any attention to yourself, head down, eyes forward, and not draw any attention to yourself. Uh, and of course, that's hard when you're, you know, you're going home, you've got a big personality, but, you know, you have to protect yourself. And I didn't know I was having to protect myself, if that made sense. So I didn't do any of the drama classes or anything like that. I remember once I was, I committed to maybe doing one of the school musicals and then I pulled out because I got scared. This was in secondary school. But then my one of, uh, two of my cousins were going to a drama class in the area that we live in now in Dublin. And my auntie said to my mum that we're joining and uh, my mum, my mum enrolled us in this class and that was it. It was a, it's a school called Westside Performing Arts. And I went there and I had finally found what I, what I loved, what I wanted to do. Um, I couldn't believe it. I was living this dream. We were dancing, we were singing, we were acting. And it was a really good school, it, it, and it still is. And I'm very fortunate that I go back and teach there now. Um, and Elizabeth cre- had created a really incredible kind of, really incredible kind of school that had the fingers and the pulse of what was what was happening um, with performing arts and would always go, um, she'd always be three or four steps ahead of everyone else in her lane, getting people over and stuff like that. Yeah, so that performing life, that's where I started, that's where I got up to, and that would be my, um, that would be, yeah, my, 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 my life in Dublin up until I moved over to England, yeah. And then, so, at what age did you move over to England? I was, uh, I was 19, so I, in Ireland, you have to do your A-levels, it's part of, okay. you know, it's in, you have six years of secondary school, so I did six years of secondary school, um, thought I wanted to be a religion and history teacher. <laughs> could, could you imagine me teaching religion and history? Those poor, poor students. And talking about religion, sorry, David, so just t- touching on religion. So in where you're from is a hev- heavily Catholic area, right? Yeah, Ireland is, a, you know, it, we, I grew up in a very Catholic country uh, during a very transitional time with the church and state so yeah I did yeah and how did that kind of affect you like especially within your teenage years and you know realizing more about who you were did you have like guilt within that oh yeah 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 I there's um you know I got to therapy now and I'm very honest with that and I I talk and there's a thing that we identified in my sessions called uh catholic guilt and it's a real thing you know we, I mean, you don't talk about yourself, you know, and maybe I even experienced it today with you a little bit when you sent me my biog and I went back to you with a note. It's all that thing of, you know, we grow up trying, trying not to enjoy any sort of enjoyment, you get captain guilt, you know. And of course, when you're gay, when you don't know you're gay, but you do know you're gay, that's really hard. <laughs> because it's, because yeah. there was no representation on 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 television for me growing up i didn't see gay men as presenters i didn't see gay men as as actors i didn't see and if they were they were the butt of the jokes and people would and i'd hear negative comments about them so there was no representation for me for certainly in my in my bubble that i lived in on television or anything like that so well it was really hard to to uh, my journey of coming out took a little bit while longer maybe than others because of 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 the Catholic guilt of of the thing of and the and the crazy thing is is that I knew my parents would never take it back in, but you still it still doesn't make it easier because you're constantly thinking about how will this make them feel? How will everyone else react if I come out? And so, you know, any sort of um any sort of unadulterated kind of praise or joy or anything like that and people are like oh there's I was two phrases in Ireland um and they're used quite lightheartedly but I was thinking about them today and May Fainer uh May Fainer's me so a May Fainer they call you it's an Irish and May Fainer you'd be all, all, all you know Nicholas and May Fainer or the other one is um they've got notions so if you you, you know I, people would say, but me and you, oh, they've got notions, you know, they, they, you know, they're, they're thinking beyond their means and stuff like that. And that's very much the kind of, that was, that was among society. And that, that came from the church, you know, that came from the church wanting to keep, you know, the church 
raking in money off off working class people who could barely afford to put money food on the table, like you know, and there was such such so much to answer for with regards to women and children and the mental, physical, and abuse that has in, 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 ensued on people right up until the nineties, early two thousands. You know, it's 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 wrong. And the, the separation of church and state is so vitally important for countries like Ireland, where we were so at the behest of what the church decided was right and wrong. Um, so, you know, it definitely did have a massive effect on me more than I actually probably thought so. And, um, you know, yeah. I made I, I was christened, I made my communion, I had my confirmation, um, I was an altar boy, I, I you know, I we went to church um, on Sundays until my parents... They, you know, they had their own issues with the church um, and they'd be kind of pulled away. But I remember even like, God forbid, and I hope they laugh at this now with the vote up in heaven. But if we were going to my nannies and granddads, like my mum and dad, like, what mass did we go to? I would be like, we went to 11 o'clock. We didn't go to mass. But if they asked us what mass we went to, we had to, we had to lie. And it, it kind of became a, um, a bit of a joke, but you would seriously offend people. Uh, you know, if you if you didn't go to mass, but it just wasn't the place for us. And uh, you know, my brother is also gay. There's two two brothers. Uh, we're both gay, and you know, we both felt the effects of growing up in a society that was heavily influenced by the Catholic Church. Thankfully, it's changed now, and we're moving forward. And I say that. We have a couple of regressions in society in Ireland at the moment. However, we're moving forward as a society and just learning to kind of uh, integrate gay gay existence into society, trans existence, LGBTQI per se existence, because there's no debate about that. You know, you can debate whatever you want, but trans people exist, gay people exist, non-binary people exist, but here... So you can have a debate, but your bigotry, your debate and your bigotry can go over there because that's never going to stop the fact that these people exist. Um, and I have to say, Ireland is the heart and soul of Ireland, has always been and always will be the kindness of its people. I honestly believe that. And um, I think I think that's that's what I like to focus on, you know, about my, my country. That's what, you know, where I'm from is, 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 is it, the people do. There is a, so much kindness and love in Ireland. Yeah, so, so, and I just want to say, I want to say that because I don't want it to come across that I, I, I'm, I would ever be negative because I love Ireland. It's my home. It's, course, you know, of course. But that, that was my, that was my experience growing up. Yeah. Yeah. And I completely appreciate that. How do you, obviously, you know, you're a well-known face in Ireland. You know, people have seen you on the TV. They've listened to you on the radio. If you walk around, you know, do you ever get any like hate, you know, from people less, who necessarily haven't kind of opened up their mind yet to you know us all um i mean listen i i'm a larger guy who is gay um and you know i when i used to do the showbiz correspondency for lane every now and then i'd get a tweet tagging me in it saying about you know how annoying i was and i mean that goes with the territory everybody who puts themselves out there was going to be burned because there's people out there who want to, to hurt people, and that's unfortunately just the society that we live in. Everyone's become a social media warrior, you know, and it's like it's wild. It, and and I I definitely think it comes through the early days of reality competition television. Do you remember where judges would just be nasty for the sake of it? And I I'm 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 guilty, but we're all guilty of it. And um, but um, I I remember um, my brother and I were walking walking down. Was it this Christmas I laughed? Or was it his birthday, maybe? And he had my brother works the fashion. My brother's very stylish. Um he pushes the boundaries. He's so fantastic at fine bespoke pieces. And he had on a jumpsuit that was a collab between Stella McCartney and Adidas. Um and we were walking down and there was a whole group of men and women looking at Boy Jam. And I just stopped and I said, What the fuck are you doing? Excuse me, if, I, if you can't use that kind of language, I'll just say, what the hell are you looking at? Love it. You know? And and they they got embarrassed. I said, do you know how you're making you feel? 
because he's wearing you're pointing at him because he's wearing a jumpsuit. Oh no, it's not good enough. Stop it. Just stop. And what is a fleeting moment of humor for you is gonna be days of trauma for him trying to overcome. Oh God, you know, even if even if even if it's five minutes of or thirty seconds of trauma, you forget about it, he won't. Stop. I was so angry. Because you know what, I can almost I can almost take it myself, but when you come from my brother, or oh, yeah. Yeah. Which I completely understand. And it's also like, you know, if I see someone who is, let's say, dressed or behaving in a way that is extra, shall we say, I don't you just look at that and I'm like, oh my God, that is amazing. Look how cool he is. Look at the effort that he's made. Look at that outfit. It should be celebrated. Like you know, blending in and being beige and trying to be like everybody else is what is king, people. You know, like, you know, the unkindness because, you know, and, and nine times out of the 10, the people that are actually saying that and pointing just wish in their heart that they could be so brave to wear those kind of things. But well, they, exactly. you know, they want to be that, but they just feel so suppressed by what they think they should be doing that they're pretending and living someone else's life. Obviously, not all the time, but it's that like, if I just stay little, no one will notice me. If I just laugh and mock other people, then it just makes me look like I'm just part of this community. And I feel, I feel, especially with social media, that is being spoken about and being open, you know, we're opening up and we're sharing our experiences so that we can, the people, those people who do feel like I have to be small can go, do you know what? I was once that bitchy, horrible person. It's only because I was jealous. I wanted to be that colourful and confident, mm-hmm. you know, and then they're coming out of their shells. But and obviously it is going to be years, decades, you know, and if not, we won't ever eradicate that. But it's almost, you know, no, for your brother. of course. You know, that one moment, that one moment could could change the shape of his life, you know, career. He could think, God, you know, I'm this, this is too much. Maybe I am doing this, you know, how... I'm so foolish of thinking I can have a career in fashion. Put your head back down, you know, like, and that's the thing, you know, well, especially I, with, it's definitely. just, it blows, my, it blows my mind that it is still happening. And especially with all, you know, the, especially the celebrity suicides and death, it's like, wake up people, you know. And, and this is the thing is that I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not excusing myself from any of that. We've all been guilty of, you know, with, with insecurities brings out, you know, hurts people, hurt people. You know that saying? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. However, taking a step back, and I definitely find this the older I've gotten, I'm 35 now, that sometimes you really just don't need to say anything at all. Because, and, and I, I get, but like my brother did have a wobble after that because something else happened. And, I remember him getting upset on it. That was very hard, you know. And those people are probably well, they wouldn't have forgotten me shouting at them. But they um they <laughs> they for them it was a fleeting moment and as I said, for him it was it's much more than that. So, you know, um for gay people we often express ourselves, for anybody in the queer community, LGBTQIA, expressing ourselves through fashion and clothing and culture is so important because we had 16, 18, 20, however many years of suppressing that. Imagine we are suppressing ourselves the whole time. You know, I didn't dress the way I would have wanted to growing up. I would have loved to have on, you know, a pink tracksuit maybe, or maybe one day I'd like to have been big army beans, you know? All these sort of things that, you know, growing up maybe I would have liked, but I didn't because I suppressed, I went along with what everyone else was wearing, what I should be wearing. I mean, I'm sorry, my mum and dad always dressed me very well and you know, we were always very fashion forward. But certainly as I got to a teenager, I definitely know I, I, I suppressed that. So when you're an adult and you have freedom and you have that confidence to wear what you want, and it'll take one person, that whole sack of cards could come falling down again. So, you know, it's, I know it makes sense simple and fickle to other people, but for people who have been so suppressed for so many years, expressing themselves is such an important and tool in feeling like ourselves. Absolutely. Oh, I just love this so much. Thank you so much. So now, like I, you've gone through your teenage years. You've discovered that your love of dancing and drama and singing, and then you moved to London. So, did you go to a stage school in London? What happened I, there? Yeah, I did. I, uh, I went to a um, a three year musical theatre course, 
and the college uh, no longer uh, is open anymore. And that was a really formative three years. I kind of found myself again in an environment that was like a, uh, a pressure cooker in the sense of, you know, the training. You know, we wanted to kind of, nothing more than we wanted to, we all wanted to get to the end of that and just work, you know. And I learned so many lessons about myself there and others and behaviours and and so many different things. And uh, I graduated. I was very lucky. I graduated. Um, I went in, went into a a Western show within six months, and that was beyond any of my wildest dreams. You know, to appear in at Greece in the West End. The last cast that ever was at the Piccadilly Theatre of the production that had been going since 1993 when I first opened that to Dominion. These things, I couldn't believe it. Like, this was so beyond my expectations. Like, I couldn't believe that. This is this has happened. Like, I'm actually working in the field that I'd chosen to. And that was an incredible opportunity. Um, and, you know, my training, I was very lucky. I had some incredible teachers. I had some ourselves as well, but I had some incredible teachers. At that time, did you have any like idols or mentors or people that you looked up to? In yeah, that I, do. I mean, um, Flick Swan was the reason why I ended up going to drama college. She was auditioning over in Dublin with my stage school for this college and she put me there and I still talk to her now. She's a real, um, a real, a real support and rocket support. I might not, we have the exact same birthday and we might never speak to each other from, for a few months, but we always stay in contact. And she was, I mean, she was just incredible. She's like a West End legend and, and, and to have her support, her guidance and her nurturing, that was just incredible. I, I, I know Flick Swan. Um, also, uh, Damien Delaney, who I had a bit of a, bit of a connection with as well because he was Irish. He was from Cork and he, again, better say what I'd be quicker saying what shows he wasn't in the West End than the ones he was in Michelle Blair the course leader he you know very much took me under her wing taught me all about the best qualities uh, of, of of longevity with regards to networking and stuff like that um, Mark Smith Stephen Muir you know I met so many amazing tours that um, were just Norma Tala so 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 many amazing people there in tutors, and also the the women in, uh, who worked in the office. They were really formative in, in in my in my in my life there, and in my uh, in my training. You know, when you live away from home, it's very hard, very hard to to be be sometimes by yourself, and to have that what became a family to me for three years. That was very important. So, yeah, um. That was my training, and um, those those people definitely played a huge part in my in and informing informing me for how I went on. And talk to me about your love of working class, fabulous women. I love. I don't. I, well, I remember when I was at. Uh, we went to the religious retreat, of course, a school, and they and I got picked. And I remember getting picked by the the brother who was doing the readings, because everyone when I got picked, all the boys guys would oh, and I remember feeling really embarrassed and like oh David's been picked and it's like oh god, I was like so anyway he kind of corrects it don't do that lads come on and then he gave me a reading he said you're very close to female members of your family and females in general and it, I I and I really have been in in my career I've had such a, a strong connection with women and funny women and strong women you know um so many women in my in my career and and I worked it and names and small names big names but I just love the humor the self-deprecate self-deprecation the the of authenticity of women the I just I have such a, an honor and value for how the strength that it takes to be a woman, and particularly nowadays, um, you know. And I've been very lucky to work with a lot of them, um, and a lot of amazing women, you know. So yeah, I I, I just love and I love when I write. I love writing stories for women as well. I think that's 
one of my favourite things to do is writing stories. Well, when I tend to always go to that, it seems to be my 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 default where I'm writing this greater woman of a, of a certain age. Love that. And then, so you um, were in Book of Mormon and something really terrible happened in that time. Can you just share us with us or what, the ha- what happened? Yeah, 2016. And I, again, I've been very open with this and for anyone who follows me or has listened to it and um, other uh, maybe podcasts or stuff that I've done, I've been very open about it for the reason that um, I, if anyone had it been quite as open, hopefully as I was, around the time that happened to me, then maybe that would have been uh, a bit of a crutch that I could have lent on. So I had a bit of a breakdown in 2016. Um, I had reached my capacity. My mental health was suffering and I was only, I was in a deep, deep depression. And um, my days would consist of staying in bed until four o'clock, getting up, going to my food, go to work, repeat. And I mean, that was repeat, repeat, repeat mixed with the deepest, deepest rooted anxiety and what I didn't know at the time was a deep rooted OCD, clinical OCD, which I didn't know I had. Um, but as soon as I went uh, to therapy and I, I'd begun to take medication, and the medication is to rationalise everything in your head. And, and it was really interesting because I was surrounded by people at work who were able to offer such incredible advice and valuable advice about mental health battles that they'd been through. And a company manager at, at the time, Lucy, who I'll be forever grateful for, who was um, the most incredible woman um, who I adore, she said to me, you know, when you have a cold or you have a feeling, you take medication. She said, and that's all it is, that you, you're just not well at the moment. And and she, she you know, I, I wanted to just hide. She, she made me come into work. I only took three days off and she's like, I promise you, I know this is hard right now, but as soon as you get back into a bit of normality, this'll, this'll get easier. And it did. And I think, you know, accepting that you may have an issue, but knowing reaching that point where you are so sad and at one time contemplated, is it even worth continuing on? That was scary. So I knew I had to go and speak to someone and I did and I went to my my doctor and he referred me to uh, another health practitioner and and I I am six seven years the other side of it one two three four five seven years on the other side of it and um you know depression is not a bad mood, but when you're feeling sad. A depression is, as my, Denise Welsh is a good friend of mine, she, she says, depression is when you feel nothing. It's when everything is depressed. Yeah, there's nothing. And the, everything is just dark. And everyone has her, you know, she's talked about a very young thing. Hers is a chemical imbalance. Mine is the other one, whereas my anxiety and my OCD had led to just blowouts. So yeah, that was that was my that was my 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 probably one of my lowest points in life. But also, uh, I I am grateful as well because I think it helped me clear out a lot of stuff in my head that I was able to go okay and find um, comfort in other things. So you know, and it definitely gave me some perspective and stuff like that. So and the importance of. Was all, and realising the importance of us all taking time out to recharge the battery and, you know, knowing that burnout is a real thing, knowing yes. that we should never use mental health as an excuse for um, laziness or anything like that, you know, like, we, you know, I think that minimises mental health altogether, you know, I think acknowledging and better education or mental health will help people. Um, and yeah, that's kind of, so it's been... It's, it was an extremely horrible and hard time, but also a real learning curve for me all around. Yeah, absolutely. And the thing is, to the outside world, right, you're in a West End show, like that's what people dream of. And so did you almost feel as well, like a bit of like, oh, I shouldn't be feeling like this because I'm living the dream? 100%. I had a episode of Benidorm just about to be released I that I started in. I was in the biggest wrestling show in the West End. I was recording a Disney cartoon during the days. I was earning more money 
than I ever could have imagined in my life. I had presents there for my birthday that had been sent. I didn't even open them. That was how, like, they, I literally, I wasn't even going near them. Like, that's, you know, it was just, my life ceased to exist. So, and you do say to yourself, what have I got to be upset about, you know? There's people out there going through some real hardships and trauma and I didn't realise I just wasn't very, I wasn't well. You know, I wasn't well. The chemicals in my head were all over the place, you know. I was I was dealing with OCD, you know, and people think that OCD is, you know, that saying, oh God, I'm so OCD. I'm, I like to clean and I like to have everything arranged. That's not OCD. Uh, you know, OCD is much bigger than that. It's deeper deeper, more complex issue, you know, about rituals and irrational um, behaviours and the catastrophizing and thoughts that everything is going to go wrong. And then if you do this, then nothing will go wrong. You know, if you tap it or if you make this, if you repeat the sentence in your head eight times, it goes so much deeper and all these rituals that happen. And were you doing happen, that kind of stuff on the show? Were you like, were I, you doing things? Yeah, I, I had, one was, if I rub my nose like that, I'd have to slap my hand and then I'd get make everyone in my dressing room slap my hand. So we would, I mean, at one point, yeah, it was ridiculous. It was actually infringing on them. Like it was becoming, the, uh, uh, when I'd walk home, the wheelie bins would be at the end of our road. I would rearrange them every single night. Every, no matter what, how dark it was, how late it was, if I was going home on those bins with that, I was rearranging them. I would... Uh, if I was going a certain route in the house, I'd have to go by the downstairs toilet and tap it three times. Um, if I got into bed and it didn't feel right, I'd have to get out and get back in again. Stuff like that. They're the sort of things that come with OCD. Yeah. Yeah. So, and did it build um, up over time? Oh God, yeah, yeah. It definitely got more. It got worse. It got worse. Like it definitely ramped up and and got progressively worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. And what I didn't realize was that the OCD, that's why I was feeling so anxious. That's why I had that feeling in my stomach. That's why I was waking up at four o'clock in the morning, literally sick with nerves and anxiety. You know, that's why. So, yeah. Wow. And so what action did you take from there? So you you, you went to your doctor and then did they, you want medication? Are you still on medication now? There? Yeah, I am. I take, I take, I'm on a daily dose of sertraline. And, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, it is a medication that a lot of people are on. Um, and it pu- purely rationalizes everything. It balances the chemicals in my head and helps up my OCD. So I wouldn't do as many things now with my OCD. And, you know, everyone will be a little bit, um, a little bit more calm. But not in the sense of like, you know, on a higher or anything like that. Just rationalizing the chemicals in your mind. And um, I'm not a doctor. I don't know why or how it works. Um, but I went to, I mean, the problem is that for mental health um, facility, particularly in the UK and Ireland, the 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 facilities are woeful. And the amount of people that will be waiting so long before they can get a referral, you're talking months, months and months and months. Somebody might not have months. Do you know what I mean? So... For me, I, I I went private. I was in a position that I could go private. I was earning money too. Some people don't have that privilege or that luxury. And, you know, um, I'm glad that happened then, not now, because I don't know if I'd be able to afford to have spent all the money I did on, on treatments and stuff like that. But I did, and I was lucky enough that I, I went to a, a psychologist and um, we worked and I went to a, my therapist. And, yeah, things are much, there's far more light than shadow uh, in my life at the moment. Let's not say things go up and down with your mental health, but I've been since 2016. It's been, it's been, it's been, it's been, and I didn't realize how many people around me were fighting the same battle. No, and that's the thing. And that's why I love the in social media for that, the opening up of actually, you know, it's not an embarrassing thing. It's, you know, everybody has mental health, whether that's good or bad. And it's just talking about that. I remember when I was, you know, at stage school. Like, looking back now, we were all absolutely in pieces and bits and we were just trying to get through the day and we had no help and no support because if you dare say, do you know what, I just don't feel right about this, you 
you're like a joke, like next, there's people waiting in the wings for, you know, your your position. And, you know, I just think how I feel, like how better my experience would have been in as a performer in the industry if I just understood what's actually going on in my mind and how, you know, the control the controlling of it and the thoughts and that there was help and you know, you just bumbled through, like just bumbling through and just thinking, this is just what it's like. This is just what life is like. And, you know, and thank goodness that that path has changed. So David, what do you do? Do you have any like daily practices that you, you know, you do to keep on top of your mental health, like, you know, journaling or go for a walk or specific foods that you don't eat? Yeah, I do. So um, I have, I journal every morning. Uh, as best as much as I can and I do my affirmations what I'm grateful for uh, I thank the universe and I write down some some jobs or tasks that I'm going to achieve that day I also have you know and I have it here right now um some people use their phones for me it doesn't work I have a paper diary so everything that I do I always write it down on my diary of what I'm doing and when I'm doing it and um, that really helps as well I feel like I'm in control of it then a little bit better um, with regards to, um, I do, um, a full moon yoga experience, um, in the, in the, like, in the cooler months, um, of the year, where it's a little bit warmer, sorry. Um, and that is, my mum does that as well, and some friends, and we go out into the beach, and there's an incredible lady called Jen, wants this full moon, uh, experience, meditation, and it's just, the most incredible thing ever you're outside on the beach in ireland under the moon wow and it's yeah. extraordinary um i i love to do that if i can get a yoga class in sometimes i will i mean i'm not going to profess to being any sort of a, a yoga junkie and then other things is i love i love box sets i love a good you know binging box sets if i can escape into that um i love i love food obviously i love food and i love uh you know, spending more time in Ireland recently, getting out and going for lovely walks around places as well has really helped. Particularly by the sea. I don't know why. I never thought I was one of those people, but clearly I am. Yeah, I am. Like, I feel like uneasy if I'm not near water. Isn't that, right? Isn't that really hilarious? I'm a Pisces. I just know, I know that. Of course. But yeah, it's like if I'm inland, it's like as soon as it's sunny, I have to get to the sea. After I've got a day off, I've got to go to the ocean. I've got to go to the lake. I've got to go somewhere. I don't know where yeah. that comes from. But yeah, it's, it's, for some people, I guess it's the mountains. I definitely know that. So it's either like the ocean or the mountains people go to. But if I envisage my like dream home and where I am, like what makes me happy, it would be like, I can walk down to the beach from my house. I can see it. Yeah. Yeah. Some people like to hike and I think some people like the water. And for me, it's the water. Yeah. I'm definitely not a hiker. I would love to be. I love the idea, but it's just, just not my thing, honey. Um, and so... David, have you ever had any enough moments in your like personal life or career where you've just gone, you know what, everything is all happening, but this enough, I just don't want this life or this situation anymore. And um, yeah, I mean, I had a, a breakup um, about three years ago and or two years ago, I can't even remember now, and I was like, wow. I needed some time out, so I moved back to Dublin for a while because I just thought, I can't, I can't, I'm too fucking, I'm too, this has affected me too much, um, I'm not enjoying where I'm living at the moment, I knew I was going to be going to LA in January, I was like, I need to clock out for a few weeks, a few months, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go, right, because this right now is just not working for me, I can't. Um, and I didn't want the possibility of running into the X. I didn't want the possibility of hearing from them. So I blocked them from my life. And that was definitely, an, definitely, definitely an enough moment um, for me where it's like, no, no. I, I, I and it's like so I empowering, to, isn't it, to do that? It was because people were like, what? Now, I wasn't one of those people I thought I would ever be so instinctive. I'm a very creature of habit at times. So people are like, oh my God. So yeah. Love that. Proud of you. Um, mm. David, tell me, what is the best piece of advice you have ever had? Best piece of advice, you know, I, we had a research kind we spoke about one, but I've actually thought of another one and it's called, it's um, get ready to stay ready. 
you know, I love that we're always getting ready to stay ready. And that means, you know, being, making sure we've always got our foot on the, on the pedal, you know, ready to take up any challenge as and when it comes. Acknowledging the much, you know, you go, actually, I can't do that, but I'm going to do this, I'm going to smash it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just that power, I thought it's something powerful. There's also another and one. And if someone give you the advice, does someone specifically yeah, give you the advice? A, a director called Debbie, is it? Gave me that advice. She directed the Christmas film that is in Netflix. Um, and she also directed something that I wrote called The Gayest Days. And as someone who's become a friend over the years, and she, a dear friend, and she, she gave me that advice. And I thought that, that really resonated with me more than some of the other ones that I'd ever heard before. That one really resonated with me. And on the flip side of that, what is the worst piece of advice you've ever been given? Stay in your lane. <laughs> stay in stay in my lane. Piss off. Stay in my lane. What lane? Oh, I, 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 I built the motorway, darling. I'll be driving it all all the lanes. As I'm wish I as I'm when I decide to thank you. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what I really feel that that has changed over over these years because you know when I was younger it was like you you're going to be this or this but you can't be everything oh I want to be everything like why why can't I be why can't I be a mom why can't I be an entrepreneur why can't I be healthy and fit why can't I also be a dancer like I just want to be it all and yes it's not easy but you can and yeah again I feel social media the positive way is open that up right I am here. You are here. Okay. We're showing that, you know, remember the time was that, oh, we could only be in theatre. You can't do television. It's like just stupid things like that. And you're like the pure example I, of like. Right. I just, I just think that never let somebody tell you what you can't do. Let me tell you, when someone tells me there's something I can't do, it's like a, a red, a red um, rag to a ball. I'm like, oh God, I'm going to do it. And I'm going to do it really well. Yes, I love that. And I'm exactly the same. It's like, don't underestimate the wills. I said, thank you. Yes, love that. Don't underestimate the wills. Um, so, David, what is your vision for the next five years? Like, what are you, what, you know, you're sat there, your, your mental health's an amazing check. You're feeling good. Obviously, you've just finished what we didn't mention. I think you've got one more show left to do above, which is your two one more, man. Yeah, two more. Two more. Oh my God. So David is, is right in the middle of his um, one man show, which is called Buff. And I haven't seen it because obviously I live here in Ibiza, um, but it is a fringe theatre and it, the reviews are next level. I really feel like looking on and like trusting my intuition. I really feel that looking on, like this is that, this is like the next chapter of your career is starting. What do you think? Thank you. I mean, I'm blown away. When I got asked to do the play, I knew I had to do it. I've never connected with dialogue or script. Ben Fenson wrote an incredible script and that I really resonated with. I could relate to it. It is powerful and funny and tragic all in equal measure. And Scott Lacrosse, who directs it, is such a visionary and the simplicity in his direction that has such simplicity but huge impacts on the, on the show is actually quite mind-blowing and then Julian who did music and then um uh Jordan who did um the assistant director just seemed like the most incredible team and a really powerful team and getting to do it was something that I think surprised people they you know I, I genuinely don't do jobs um unless I really want to do them and I really wanted to do this and I'm glad I did we did three shows two weeks ago and the reviews and the response from the audience have been very overwhelming. You know what it's like, you know, you, you put yourself out there and you hope for the best. And sometimes it's hit and sometimes it's missed. And the audiences have, have connected to this piece because it's a piece that is about a plus size guy in his thirties navigating his way through dating apps, but it's universal to so many people and so many different walks of life. So, you know, it's, it's been a real, um, passion project and I, Hope this is not the end of it. I hope we get to do it in many different genres in the coming years. I would be honest to you again. I would be grateful to do it again. And yeah, it's just been an amazing experience to be part of. And in this extraordinary venue under Waterloo that I didn't even know existed. So yeah, it's been been extraordinary and I'm very grateful. 
Yeah. And so what's next? Buff finishes. What what is your vision? Let's let's not be Irish. Let's not be Irish. Let's say <laughs> <laughs> you've got your vision board of like what you want for the next five years and you're going to manifest that. What in your wildest dreams would that be? You know what? Um, I want to continue to di- diversify my skill set. You know, um, I have made a career of putting many fingers in different pies. So whether it be television, musical theatre, straight theatre, fringe theatre, pantomime, uh, film, um, animation, producing one-off evenings in the West End with, you know, Kathy and Kathy uh, Burke, Jennifer Saunders and Gigi Dench, Fulty Williams and Sammy Williams. Do you get to do those has all been so fulfilling and creatively diverse that I want to do more of that. I want to do more. I will do more work in TV and film. Um, I want to spend more time sitting under the sun in the beautiful elements. I want to take time to shut off. I want to do solo trip, maybe one time just to sit on a beach for two weeks by myself and just really take stock. I want to spend more time with family. I want to continue to have the most amazing friendships. I want to find financial stability. Um, that's very important for me now at 35. Um, and I want to continue on the path that I have been down this year of, you know, again, like I said, diversifying my skill set into radio and television uh, in scripted and unscripted formats. Amazing. Do you get nervous? Like when you yeah, go for an audition? Yeah. And how do you call, how do you deal with that? I don't know. I, I, I used to I used to give the people on the other side of the table so much more um, power. And I don't mean that in a disrespectful way. I mean that in a way of I have to talk myself out of the you know some some jobs are so important and I you want them but. If you play them up like that in your head, you fucking put yourself in a place of absolute anxiety and trauma. So I can trauma, anxiety and nervousness. Yeah. So, um, you know, you just have to talk yourself down off an edge sometimes. Um, do some things that are nice before, after. You know, the hardest thing about at the moment is I'm doing self-tapes and it's you send the self-tape off and then begin this process of, waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and that's hard so um and that's where i get nervous like you saw even before it it's kind of after it as well when you get nervous that if i if i get a rejection or i get a no which you know you kind of become with it and you build up a bit of a what do you say um resilience towards that sort of you know the no's over the years but yeah that would be my my journey with nerves yeah, I just, for me, you know, when I was in my 20s and I was auditioning and that was in my world, I was crippled by nerves. Like I would go in and in my, before I went into the audition, this is obviously before self-tapes, it was everyone was better than me. Like their singing voice was better. They could dance better. They looked better. It was, I, I just like made myself so small. And so then I'd go in there with no confidence and sing appallingly because the nerve just took over. You know, and it, it's taken me, I always say to, to everyone now, I was like, I wish I knew now, I wish I knew then what I know now, because I would be a different person. I would actually be able to have the ability to show off my talent because I could, you know, and it's exactly what you said. I used to put the people behind the desk. They basically were God, right? They basically were gods. And I was going up in front of them to, you know, see if I was worthy. And I, it was, it's so sad because it was like my dream, but I really just, just ruined it because I allowed that nervous energy to to rule it, you know. And and that was also as well, you know, one of the one of the things out of that is is that you got like that because it really mattered to you. You really cared about it. You wanted to succeed. And I think anybody, you know, going into that, it's about channeling that energy and learning how to do that. I think nowadays from when we first started out, you know, times have changed in the sense that there is a lot more information about how to channel those nerves into yeah, into, exactly. into different ways. And like, like you said, I, I wish I knew them what I know now. That's such a perfect way of describing it. Yeah. 
yeah, like the work that I've done on myself. And I think more than anything, and I and I discuss this in, in so many of the other episodes, it's like when I had self-worth, everything became a lot more easier. Life was so much easier. And yeah, it took me, yeah. you know, basically mid-30s to go, oh, Nicola, you're all right, actually. You're actually kind. You're nice. You're just doing your best. There's nothing actually wrong with you. Whereas before that, it was like I was just, I was my own worst critic, digging myself out all that time. And even though on paper I'd achieved these things, the mental battle to get there was just horrific. Yeah. I didn't enjoy and it. And it just makes, it just opens, like you said, like you said something really powerful there is you made yourself so small. And we don't realize that when we are so hard on ourselves, we are opening ourselves up to reduce our talents, our confidence, our abilities, our passion, our love, everything just becomes suppressed, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so, David, I've got one more final question, and this is the question that uh, everybody is going to be, you know, given at the end of our podcast, and that is, what advice would you give to your former self, to your, in like, 13-year-old David, who's there, if you could just whisper in his ear and say one thing or two things of advice, what would that be? Don't worry. Don't worry. It's okay. Oh, God, it's okay. Stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just, just don't worry. You know, I spent yeah. so many years worrying. I spent so much of my childhood worrying. And so, yeah. So I just say, don't worry. Don't worry. And on that mm. note, I love you. I'm so grateful that you've joined us. I so you. much wisdom has just poured out of you and I know like I know that if I was at the beginning for sure of my like you know performance journey or actually in fact any kind of work journey and I listened to this podcast that I would feel like you know what I can do this like one day at a time take a step at a time and if you know I was listening to it and I was going through something it's like okay cool like just seek help like nothing is too much trouble there's no one you know don't worry just don't worry it's all going to be good so oh it is a pleasure that means a lot thank, thank you. you i'm very I'm proud of you and thank you for having me on i'm so excited to see this explode thank you my darling and good luck your last two performances of buff and i'm just thank predicting you. just putting it out there i just think this one man show is going to go to a movie watch this space i can feel it yeah. i can feel it yes Love you. So thank you so much. Thank Love you so you. much for everybody no listening to this podcast. Uh, it has been a pleasure and we'll see you soon. Thank you. Bye-bye. <laughs>